Hallo und willkommen zum Viennale Podcast. Mein Name ist Alexandra Zavier. Ich unterhalte mich mit Gästen der Viennale 2022. Heute kann ich mit Esan Hoschbakt sprechen über die Monographie zu Ibrahim Golestan. Hi and welcome to the Viennale, Esan. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Now I um, would like you to um, uh, give us as much insight on uh, the filmmaker Ibrahim Gondestan as you were curating the uh, monography uh, here in, correspond uh, in cooperation with the Viennale. Uh, you are the, um, aside from being a curator and writer about film, you are the uh, director, the artistic director of Il Cinema Ritrovato, which is uh, dedicated to, well, rediscovering uh, uh, old films and cinema and bringing to light and films that might otherwise not be possible to be screened anymore, but also to, as far as I understand it, to recontextualize um, films from the past maybe. So please uh, let us in a little on your uh, work and on the um, the thoughts behind uh, the monography for Ibrahim Goldestan. Uh, thank you. My work on uh, the project, which is currently uh, taking place at the Viennale, at the retrospective on Ibrahim Goldestan, actually drives from two different sides of my activities or my cultural identity. One is, as you mentioned, uh, the festival Il Cinema Ritrovato, because we had a much a smaller retrospective on Golestan back in 2016, which was the first time it was happening in Europe. And we screened the films from old prints and we realized like the color films had gone red, uh, the prints, uh, some of them were missing scenes. And Golestan, who was uh, personally uh, present during the retrospective in Bologna, was uh, very dissatisfied. And he protested at least once and, uh, left the screening in protest that this is this is not a good print this is not a good copy of the film and then it came to me that we should do something about one of the greatest filmmakers of 20th century definitely a fathering figure of the Iranian new wave cinemas of the 60s and 70s so we started a project to collect preserve and restore his entire filmography and so far we have managed to restore in Bologna Cineteca di Bologna at least 10 of his films. We still have perhaps two or three, two, th two or three more to go. Uh, the other uh, side of my cultural identity is being an Iranian, which makes it this project absolutely essential to me because uh, Iranian cinema, Iranian pre-revolutionary cinema in particular is very, it's uh, not exactly an orphan cinema, but because of the rejection of the ideology of the pre-revolutionary years, uh, because of that, the films, uh, which were made between uh, the end of the Second World War until 1979, are either not accessible anymore, or if they are in heavily censored version or unwatchable copies. So this was absolutely essential to go and start with a kind of one of the pioneering figures of the Iranian New Wave. And we were very lucky to be able to access all his films, uh, and uh, with the collaboration of different institutions and different funders and uh, uh, collaborators to, to get where we are at now. So what is happening at the Viennale is actually, so far, the most comprehensive retrospective on his cinema. 
uh, a good number of the restorations were, f were finished only a month ago. So we are seeing the world premiere of at least four titles here. And uh, the audience in Vienna are able now to see some films which haven't been screened in a cinema before or have not been seen at all in any form except by the eyes of the creator of the film, Ebrahim Golestan. That's amazing and it's, um, well, in a way, shocking as well. I mean, because when we're talking about Iranian cinema, we also um, sadly have to be talking about censorship a lot or, as you mentioned it, hidden cinema. Um, and especially in the light of current events also, um, I would like you to give us your opinion also on what's going on with the revolutionary state the, the, the country is in actually um, and the, the ties to cinema maybe because the Vinal is also showing uh, Jaffa Parna, his uh, newest film here uh, which he could not present anywhere as well and Golestan does have a different focus in his work but I don't know, maybe there is um, a connection to to the culture of living in a country that deals a lot with suppression and oppression. Um, do you find that resounding in the works of Golestan? And if so, in, in which ways? Uh, I want to say something which might sound slightly controversial. Because Jafar Panahi, wonderful person, wonderful filmmaker, is in prison now. And this is beyond tragic. This is totally unacceptable. But even more un unacceptable and more tragic is the fate of thousands of uh, women, boys, kids on the streets in front of the bullets in different cities of Iran now. But I want to say something. Jafar Panahi is an extremely brave man. Ibrahim Gulistan is an extremely brave filmmaker. The subversive side of Ibrahim Gulistan's cinema remains to this day totally unprecedented in the history of Iranian cinema. What he does in at least a couple of his films is just so strong in terms of its political subversiveness that it's unbelievable that these films were made in the 60s in particular two films the crown jewels of iran a film made for the shah of iran basically he's showing middle finger to the to the entire history of monarchy in iran which is unreal of course completely censored so you were watching the film here in a version a complete version which ha was, has not been seen since 1965 and he has another film harvest and seed again from 1965, which is a ruthless attack on the idea of the Shah's uh, self-proclaimed white revolution, uh, which again is uh, is uh, uh, extremely bold in in attacking on different fronts, not just one front. So that's Golestan, and these films, both of them, have been censored, almost unseen. Jafar Panahi, bless him, I love him, but he doesn't have an unseen film in his filmography. Ebrahim Gulistan, up until two years ago, had these films totally unseen. So 
my heart, my sympathy, and my efforts are directed at people whose work, A, er, they are urgent, B, they are unseen, uh, C, they are powerful, and still resonating with what's happening in Iranian society. Because long before everybody else, Gulistan was aware of the power and influence that Iranian women could have in modern Iranian society. Break a Mirror, a film which is playing at the Viennale, is a film in which all men are cowards, unable to face the realities of the society, unable to understand their historical condition. Only the female figure is the only one who faces it and could see both the darkness and the light. Uh, and Golestan was the person who gave, as a producer, gave the opportunity to the great Iranian poet Farooq Farooq to make her first and sadly only film, uh, The House is Black. So for me, Golestan is a person whose work indirectly lays the foundation for whatever is happening or many of the things that are happening in Iranian art house cinema in recent years, but also again indirectly through the gradual construction of a kind of a of a, a, a path a road to uh, self-expression for uh, women uh, either through support help encouragement in all different forms uh, we arrive at we what uh, where we are uh, today and now thank you a lot for this comment and this answer and um, it kind of connects to what I was saying about the importance also of festivals like Il Cinema Ritovato, uh, because exactly those festivals are bringing light to films that have already dealt with subversiveness, with government critique, with feminism also. And of course, films that are nowadays known to maybe have done that are films that probably had more money, were made in, in different circumstances, whatever, but also a younger generation might not be aware that cinema has long has a long history of dealing with those subjects, but has not been uh, able to bring to light all those films. And um, Golestan, as you were mentioning, did always have a, a great empathy for women, uh, uh, portraying women in, certain, in a certain environment but always also in connection to um, another big topic of his to earth um, can you say a little about that connection or about that theme in his work in uh, in the movie uh, the the heels of Malik there is a line and the earth is a woman so even he sees the earth as a woman which gives birth uh, which is fertile which regenerates, uh, which keeps the cycle of life and death uh, cycling and going. Uh, so the feminine view of life and elements, uh, in particular earth, fire, and water, is very much part of uh, part of his cinema. But Perhaps because of the the strong influence of poetry, of Persian poetry, uh, and uh, heavy reliance on 
metaphors and symbolism. It's wrapped in so many layers that uh, might not be easily detectable or could be interpreted in many different ways. But um, he has uh, a very strong uh, relationship with the earth, as you mentioned, and you could argue that basically all his films are about that. Whatever comes from the earth, which includes fire comes from the earth. He has made a film called Fire. Water. He has made films about water. Uh, also life, which is in Hills of Malik. The entire history could be found when you dig deep into the earth and also eventually death because you return to us. Like just, this is like if you're dealing with a classic Persian poet situation. I, c I don't want to say Khayyam, the, the great poet, because he's more influenced by poets from his region, central Iran, the city of Shiraz, Hafiz, and in particular Saadi. And there is a very good film at the Viennale, See You Friday Robinson, which is about the correspondences between Gulistan and Jean-Luc Godard. And I dubbed that film as Saadi, the poet, Saadi versus Jesus, because uh, it seems that Godard throughout the film is adhering to a kind of Christian iconography and even in some aspects, a kind of ideology, like certain concepts are clearly borrowed from, from the history of Christianity and Gulistan always returns to Saadi, which means a kind of Iranian Renaissance before Renaissance, like extreme humanism. Uh, that is pretty much Gulistan for me and his relationship, not only with the, with, uh, the earth, but also the entire world, the entire universe. Yeah, I um, have the same feeling actually, and uh, that's also something as an outsider I uh, always perceived uh, Iranian films, be they historical or contemporary, to speak a very um, characteristic language of uh, extreme poetry in comparison to other regions of world cinema maybe uh, there is a heavy reliance on metaphors there is a special way of narrating which is um, using a lot of elliptic uh, uh, structures um, and I think that also reflects in contemporary uh, Iranian cinema that's really something that runs through as a thread and um, to it's it's an interesting thing because uh, we usually speak about cinema as a form of poetry, also. But it's with Golestan and and other Iranian filmmakers, it's really evident because his films really feel like uh, or uh, I perceive them as free poems uh, by the um, for themselves or uh, standing uh, for themselves. And I think it's really incredible, actually, uh, how you know somebody has this self-assurance and, and freedom also to to um, or finds it in in himself to to make a filmic poem like this oh in, uh, in uh, 
the particular case of Ibrahim Golestan, of course, his knowledge of Persian poetry is immense. He's almost like a scholar of Persian poetry. Persian poetry is is not that easy to read. So, not uh, uh, contrary to the to the general conception that oh, uh, you know, oh, Iranians and poetry, they, uh, they all know it. No, that's 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 not very very straightforward and easy. You need some. Uh, kind of literary background in uh, in order to understand it, to decipher it, to to absorb it. Uh, for Gulistan, it's very unique because it's the structural use of poetry in work in his work, rather than kind of an easier way to to use poetry in uh, Iranian films, especially of recent years. It's just like images which might evoke a form of poetry, like. In quotation marks, like pretty images, and I'm pretty much against pretty images. Uh, you know, I always totally reject pretty images. And Golestan is a director who never uses pretty images. However, he uses poetry in the structure of the film. I can give you an example. When we premiered uh, *Brick and Mirror* at the new restoration of *Brick and Mirror* in 2018 uh, at uh, Venice Film Festival, he. Gulistan protested to the idea that he had used jump cut. This is a film which has used jump cuts. That he had, uh, he, he, been, he has been influenced by uh, Godard and used jump cut in his film. So no, I don't have to be influenced. I had not seen the film back, you know, back in the sixties in Iran. It was impossible to see Abu Dusuf, but I have read Sadi, and he gave an example of how Sadi uses jump cut in his poetry meaning that each verse there's a jump in space and time and it takes you a while, a few moments, a second or two maybe, to understand that the first words and the second words are actually belong to uh, different different times or different locations. So uh, that was his answer. And I, and, I, and I believe it because he thinks that way. He, the way he looks at moving images is, is through the points of view of that kind of language. And if you want to see how his language shapes his cinema, the best example at the Viennale, a film which was in fact screened yesterday, we showed two films back to back about the same event, about the same f incident, uh, a major uh, fire outbreak in an oil well in southwest Iran in 1958. There's a very fine film by Abul Ghassam Rezaei. Good film, interesting film. And then there is Gulistan's film about the same thing. The language completely transforms everything. One is an industri industrial documentary. The other one is a film about universe through the story of a fire. So that's the, the way, and because of the way he uses language, the editing is also influenced then by the language. The use of music or the lack of music, in this case, the film doesn't have music, so it uses the environmental sound in a kind of, a t in a musical way, creating rhythm for the film. Uh, so everything comes from that. The way he thinks, the way he creates the word, so the word comes first and then the image. Yeah, and with um, screenings or um, created like uh, projections like this, f uh, for example, you were mentioning yesterday, um, I also, uh, I always find it very, um, 
moving to be in the cinema with other people to see how they are reacting because of course we can you know perceive a film for ourselves but then it's a it's a sensation to see other people share the thoughts and share the same reaction how did you feel it were you there yesterday did you see a reaction in the audience i was there yesterday uh and i was so absorbed by the films because uh uh two of them i was seeing for the first time in a cinema with an audience because we just finished restoring um, uh, courtship and firefight at ahwas um, but um, there were kind of of course different emotions there uh, especially the, the in the, com the comparison between the first film and the second film the way that goliston abridges events because the first film gets repetitive the first fire and the second fire, but in course just a series of cuts, beautiful cuts, and it always gets back to ordinary people. So people could hear that, you know, like, uh, perhaps uh, a sound of satisfaction that, you know, oh, the way that it is approaching is completely different. But then the, the wit and humor, and also the kind of terribly outdated commentary, Canadian com commentary of courtship, which is like not appalling, but very close to that. Ridiculous, it's totally ridiculous. So. Again, a different type of reaction. And the final film, I didn't say, but I have seen that film in many different countries, in many different situations. And it usually brings silence. Silence, which is, of course, more meaningful than any other kind of sound or immediate reaction, uh, vocal reaction to, to a film, because there is very little to be said after The House is Black. Mm -hmm. Very much to think about, it's uh it puts you in a state of shock exactly exactly and i think that's that's also connecting to what we was you were saying before i think um one of the one of the big qualities in filmmakers like Golestan is they are not offering uh complacent uh, images they are not you know um uh, they are they are providing irritation they are providing provocations thought provocation and i i think there's an overall nowadays there's an overall underestimation of the audience everybody thinks you know they have to repeat everything a thousand times they have to you know they must not um challenge the audience too much because the audience could run away or whatever and i think to to um, re-emphasize a cinema like it was done by Goldstein, um, is also to kind of like, you know, tell the audience y you do have the ability, you do have the responsibility maybe also to to make up your own thoughts about without, you know, um, having them on screen already. Um, do you think, um, do you believe in the, um, in the power of cinema when it comes to making political changes? Like, we are back with the Iranian situation maybe now, or um, in general also, I mean, all over the world. Do you think there is, um, cinema really can, you know, bring about changes? No, but moving images, yes. Mm -hmm. And what is happening Iran now tells the story about the power of moving images. And when I say moving images, an image, I've seen images much more powerful than the films I have seen in the past five, six years. 
So the very last killer image that I have seen of three schoolgirls marching. It was stronger than the final scene of the Wild Bunch by Sam Pecky, but three schoolgirls who have removed their headscarf and marching in the courtyard of the school. The pace and the 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 the, the will is so present there and the shot is from above so the faces of the, these girls who are probably between 9 to 11 not older than that that brings change because that pushes something in you it's kind of it's like a smack in the face with with an idea embodied in a moving image it doesn't have sound it's just the image. So images, yeah. And what is happening in Iran is the story of images. Images, horrifying images which emerged. Heartwarming images which emerged. Images which had the stories. There were many wonderful long takes, as good as films by Martin Scorsese. Like I've seen a couple of really incredible long takes taken by a mobile phone inside a moving car of the atrocities happening uh, uh, in front of the car as they are just filming and moving along. Uh, so yeah, moving moving images, yes. Cinema, perhaps not. And there is a reason for it. Because these images reach us, uh, reach us faster than the films. For making a film, uh, a film version of that, you need at least five, six months to reach a film festival. Before that, you have already, you can see it on what your WhatsApp or Telegram, whatever. So this is, of course, a very um, tricky situation for cinema, because cinema now, which was in the past used to be considered a moving image form, is a slightly behind the more general concept of moving image. So the only way out of this is because, well, we can again get back to Godard, that if you look at whatever is happening around us as fast news, and the images that I describe are fast news, you see them, a couple of hours or a day after they've been filmed. The best way for cinema is to get into the analytical phase, work on, to work on the meaning of these images and to become, in Godard's world, the slow news. So we need more slow news. And I don't see much of it these days, uh, which is very sad. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing films which would function as a slow news on the subjects which are important to me and others, but it is bec becoming increasingly rare. I agree. Uh, do you feel nostalgic about the fact that, uh, because you were mentioning a reference to Sam Peckinpah when you were seeing those, those images, uh, nostalgic about the fact that a generation, a young generation now would not even you know, would not a ref know a reference like that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, like a I refuse adjuring to any form of nostalgia. So no nostalgia, even when there is room for it. it sh nostalgia should be totally rejected because it's useless and it could be also dangerous in when it comes to the idea of states, national state, like your nostalgia of this empire and that empire. It brings nothing but a stupidity and rancor. So no nostalgia. What people do is their business. If they're missing something, that's fine. I'm sure if people of Renaissance would look at me and say, look at this miserable guy. He hasn't seen this painter or that painter. So I think each generation 
uh, could find reasons for looking down at other people. I, you know, I don't know, maybe they have their own references. No, it doesn't bother me at all. But my job is to encourage them to come and look at the final scene of The Wild Bunch. And interestingly, The Wild Bunch was a film which we screened in Bologna from a vintage Technicolor print from 1969. So that's my job, and I do that. And you know what's amazing? The kids, the marching girls, come to the cinema, look at the final scene of The Wild Bunch, the famous march to death. They get it, and I come to you and say, who said girls don't like Westerns? Awesome. Thank you very much for this exciting talk. Danke fürs Zuhören. Wir hören uns beim nächsten Viennale Podcast. <laughs>